Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on all audio platforms and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Adrian Duncan, a visual artist and award-winning writer who is originally from Longford and now lives in Berlin. His debut novel Love Notes from a German Building Site was published by the Lilliput Press and Head of Zeus in 2019 and went on to win the John McGarren Annual Book Prize. In 2020 he was shortlisted for the inaugural Dorky Literary Award for Emerging Writer. Adrian's second novel was called A Sabbatical in Leipzig while his latest book is a collection of short stories called Midfield Dynamo and is again published by the Lilliput Press. His short fiction has appeared in literary journals journals in Ireland and the US. Adrian, I suppose firstly what I love about your story is that you studied and worked as a structural engineer for over a decade before casting it all aside for the creative industry. I mean, that was some some pivot. It was, it was, it was. It was around, I suppose what happened was when I was working as an engineer, um, even though I really enjoyed working in my, my workmates and the jobs I was working on, but after about a decade or so, I started becoming feeling uh, less and less connected to the actual work. Um, and I realized it was one of the last jobs I worked on. I walked around this job that I spent about two or three years on. I remember looking at all the little details and all the structural solutions that we came up with throughout the building. And it was all being covered over with the architectural cladding and this kind of stuff. I remember just thinking to myself, any engineer could have done this. I'm like, my involvement in this project is, uh, is not visible. And even though the project was well, was well done, it just wasn't enough for me. So I decided at the time that I needed to do something else. Um, so it was actually just before the recession hit, I'd already decided and I had applied to go to art college and, and NCAD and Dunleary and places like this. So I was putting together a portfolio um, to get into these colleges. I applied and I got into Dunleary and I started studying. And then at that same time, um, in 2008, I also started up at the Irish Writers' Centre in, um, in, nor- in the north side of Dublin. Um, and I started doing creative writing courses under the tutelage of a guy called um, Greg Baxter. He's an American writer. Um, who was living in Ireland at the time. Um, so those two things happened at the same time, going back to study fine art in, in Dunleary and then starting to write short stories in, or trying to write short stories, I should say. And uh, that, uh, that move from such a structured job, I suppose, to, you know, the more free-flowing creative, how did you find it? Well, I think the, the main thing is that when you're working as an engineer, uh, problems are things that you want to try and get rid of um, over the course of the day. So you're always sort of thinking deductively and trying to find solutions, trying to find ways to remove problems. Whereas when you're working as a visual artist or a writer, a problem isn't something that you want to necessarily remove at all. It's something that you're happy to be there for, for, for the duration of a project. So your relationship to the world, your relationship to materials, your relationship to stories is very, very different when you're working as a, as a writer and a visual artist. There's no need to close things off and to finish them out. Um, so that was one of the biggest differences. And then the other difference, really, that I, that I, that I encountered, certainly when I was in the uh, art college, was my relationship to material. Um, because when I was working as an engineer, my relationship to material was very much at a design level and at a mathematical level, and thereby a very abstract level. Whereas I went into art college, I was literally playing with pieces of material with my hands, picking things up, bending them, breaking them, folding them, cutting them, whatever. 
and my relationship to the world became very different and I felt like I was getting closer to the world if, if, if you can imagine such a thing um, so that coupled with the creative writing sort of produced sort of broke my head open really and I kind of started started afresh and kind of it was like a formative experience, but in my early 30s. <laughs> and in terms of the, the creative course then you did in the Writers' Centre, I mean, did that help you just focus in terms of your writing ability or did it help you focus on, on, on I suppose, a plot for a book? Yeah, the, the, big, the big, big thing about it was um, when Greg Baxter was on the course, one of the things he said was, don't plan anything. Don't plan any short stories. Don't plan any of your writing. And to me, at first, this sounded very, very strange and um, coming from a world where you plan everything. But I decided to just take a leap of faith um, and I decided that I wouldn't plan anything I wrote. And as a result, it took me ages to actually produce anything that was coherent because it was all just sort of some, um, back of my mind kind of stuff. Um, and after a while, I started kind of crafting stories and things started to come together. But at first, the big step was that I wouldn't plan a story. And that tie- tied in very well with what I was doing in art college where you're not planning things out. You know, you're working away, but you're not necessarily planning things to the end. Um, so that was one of the big, big changes. And then the other thing about the Irish Writers' Centre was that the criticism that, and feedback that Greg gave me at the time was really, really important in terms of, you know, just in terms of basic habits, sentence writing, that kind of stuff. But also um, it gave you deadlines as well, weekly deadlines for 10 week, 10 weeks. So there was, I did three 10 week courses. And so for those 10 weeks, I was on a deadline pretty much every week. So you're writing not that much, but little bits every week. And that was new. The idea of writing something new every week and not really write every day but at the time i started writing um, just even every week producing a couple of maybe a thousand words a couple of hundred words anything and that was the other really big thing just getting into a habit you know and um, those are the two major things i would say so when did the first book start forming then ah um well the first book starts forming so love notes was the first book um so that yeah, that started forming in about 2014 or so. Um, I was living in, in Germany, or living most of the year in Germany, let's say, by then. Um, and this these experiences of having worked on building sites over my life um, as an engineer, the experience of working in an art studio as well for a number of years and producing artworks and producing exhibitions, but then also my experience of learning the German language. Um, so these three aspects sort of came together and I decided to sort of, that's where the novel came from, essentially. So I started writing it in 2014. And the first draft, let's say, came out in about maybe five or six weeks. It came out very quickly. Um, and I started sending it around. Um, and it kind of, for the next four or five years, I kind of worked out what the book was. Over the course of five weeks, you got the first draft. And mm. what was that now? Was that just literally everything down on a page and you just threw it out? And then yeah. it took you four or five years to, to to refine it. Yeah, so it came out in just one big blast, one big monolithic blurb of, 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 uh, of sort of words, um, most of which weren't written particularly well, looking back on it. Um, so then over the course of the next four years, yeah, there about four or five years, um, I learned to understand who the character was and once I started learning about the character I was able to understand how he would formulate the book because the book's told in the first person and I realized the the character was a a young engineer called Paul he was an Irish engineer and I realized that he wouldn't write a a novel in the style of a novel why would he he's an engineer so it's like he would make a little machine and that's what Love Notes is it's a it's a machine of five different parts that interlock and kind of propel themselves through to the end in the style of a novel, but it doesn't look immediately like a novel. And once I started understanding the character, which it took ages to do, um, then I could understand how he would talk, what he would see, and then how the, how the novel itself would look. 
Um, so it just took that long. Um, but also I hadn't written a novel before, so there was loads of wrong turns, loads of silly and, 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 and wasteful things I did. But, I mean, nothing's really wasteful, but, you know, they wrong turns, let's say, or doubling back on myself and this kind of stuff. Um, but I learned a huge amount from doing it, you know, a huge amount from doing it. Do you think, though, if you'd planned it a little bit more, would it have taken as long? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Th- there's no way I could have planned that book because I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's, it, it, it looks like the way it is because of what it went through. You know, um, there's no way I would have, could have sat down and said, I am going to make a, five, a book that's made out of five discrete parts and wend them together. It's really I, it would never occur to me to do something like that. Um, but so I, I think the book looks like the process at the time that it came from. And it just needed the time. That's all. There was no there's no shortcuts for it. I don't think, you know, hopefully the second <laughs> one didn't take as long, did it? The second one came in five weeks and it almost came out exactly as as it, as, as it was written. Really? So the second one came very, very, very easily. It came out of nowhere would be how I'd say it. Um, because I remember what happened was uh, Lily Press took the book off me in 2018. So this was the, the love notes from a German building site. I was, you know, I was very, very, very close to the end of my tether with this book. Um, and when they took it off me, um, I did, I, it was like as if sort of when they said, yeah, well, we'd like to publish your book. It was as if someone had just lifted this kind of helmet off my head and out of it just came this kind of second book, um, which is about an engineer, but he's a, a much, much older engineer. And that book came very, very easily. Um, and it was sort of more or less complete within a year and a half um, in terms of editing and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was the ha- that's how that happened. So considering you spent so long sort of tinkering, let's say, with both, when they took it off you then, as in the publisher, uh, to make their amends, how did you feel losing that control at that point? Um, well, I work in, when I'm working with an editor, so I work with Sean Farrell, who's the editor, that, one of the editors of the Liverpool Press. And um, it's, I see it very much as a collaborative experience. So Sean would sort of see uh, weak points or sentences that aren't working or whole sections that aren't working or whole sections that might be placed elsewhere. And a discussion would develop between the two of us about the, about the book and what it means and what, what, what we're trying to do. Um, and it's a very, very interesting and critical and creative conversation. Um, and I, I actually treasure those conversations, even though no one else can see them or be privy to them. Um, but they're very, very valuable to me. Um, and that's basically how the book finds its final form uh, through uh, an editor and I working together. I'm sure it's different in different publishing houses, but with Lilliput, they're very much um, aware. They're very open and very um, aware of the fact that editing is a, is a collaborative process as, um, as well as well as everything else. Yeah. And the good news with the first book, obviously, was despite everything, all the, you know, the rewriting, the drafting and all the rest, it actually went on then to win the John McGarren Book Prize. Yeah, yeah, that was, I was, I remember actually, it got shortlisted first, of, uh, of course, and um, I was stunned. I, I was, I was, I mean, I didn't even think the book would get reviewed kindly, but it got reviewed very kindly. Um, and really, yeah, I was really, really stunned by that. And then um, it got shortlisted for the book, for the for this John McGowan Book Prize. And I looked, at, obviously, at the at my fellow shortlistees, and I just said, I have not a chance here. You know, I have not a hope of winning this. And then I remember Anthony Farrell rang me, um, I think it was last March or so, or May or something like that. And he said, oh, by the way, you know, 
we, you've won the book prize. And I was obviously absolutely over the moon. But they said, <laughs> but you can't tell anyone for a month because um, we have to kind of, uh, we're not, it's not public. So I kind of had to keep it to myself for a month. It's like Christmas morning and not being allowed to open up your, your gifts or whatever, you know, because the best part of winning something is telling someone else. You know, I know, absolutely. Um, that must have been difficult to hang on to that, was it? It was, yeah, yeah. I mean, I told my girlfriend and then that was, that was about the height of it. Um, but... Then after then, then when I was able to tell them it was it was very nice. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was it was a lovely. Um, I don't know. It was lovely to be recognised um, for. And John McGarren is a writer who's f- from my kind of end of the country, and he's a writer that I hold in like huge esteem. Like I think most most writers do, Irish or otherwise. Um, so to be associated in any way with the prize was just an enormous honour. You know? And Colm Tobin was on the jury and what he said, I mean, in fairness, he said Adrian Duncan's first novel is written with such thrilling precision, such attention to detail, such care in the avocation of sensibility that you're fully transported into the world of a Berlin building site. I mean, who'd have thought that a, a, a building site in Berlin could be so interesting? <laughs> no, I, I mean, this is the thing, I, I suppose, like, and with the collection of short stories, you know, I write about building sites, but also football pitches and things like that. And I think these things aren't necessarily that often written, that, written about that often in the world of literature, but they are very, very interesting places. And they're interesting to me. So I couldn't see any reason why I wouldn't write about them, you know. And are they uh, interesting to you because they are things that you know about and you understand and you feel comfortable writing about? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, certainly because um, like I've watched and, and followed and played football for years and years and years. Engineering, I've been a huge part of my life as well. Um, so those aspects, those things, I'm, I'm comfortable about writing about in, in that in that world. Um, so, yeah, that would definitely be part of it. Yeah, for sure. And Midfield Dynamo then is the latest book. So this is a collection of short stories. Now, some of these you've sort of written over the past decade of, or so, and some have been already published. Others are, are new. So why did you go down the route of short stories this time? Yeah, well, um, so these short stories I'd written, I, I had about maybe 17 or 18 short stories written over the last, um, let me see, yeah, decade or so. And um, there was about uh, maybe six maybe eight or nine of them been published in you know the uk ireland or whatever um and i had i felt that there was a sort of a tipping point coming i felt like there was a really interesting collection in that within that 18 um so i sent them all over to sean farrell over in lilliput and he kind of you know very quickly got rid of the ones that he think weren't of 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 merit um or didn't quite fit the tone of the other ones so we decided then to kind of find a, um, a kind of, we treated it not as a sort of a list of greatest hits, but as a kind of concept album. Um, so we decided to kind of think about it in that way. And then when we started thinking about it in that way, I realized I really struggled to try and think of the order of the stories we're going, if you think of them in a vertical list. So I decided just to break open the vertical list and place them as a team of footballers, so 11 players and a coach. Um, and by breaking them up into 11 players, I was able to kind of see the order of them a little bit better on what the interrelations could be between the stories. Because there's little threads going through each story. There's uh, interests and things like that and names and places. Um, so that's how I arranged the book. And once I did that, then I could kind of understand the book. And with that kind of overarching concept, then we were able to kind of edit the stories relative to each other. It was like John McGarren had this lovely way of putting it that in short story collections, the stories kind of lean against each other. Um, whereas a novelist just has to stand on its own. And I think that's one thing that I was very aware of when I was kind of thinking of the team, which story might lean and in what direction would it lean uh, on the others. So um, 
Yeah, so you think of it as a sort of a larger structure or pattern. That's, that's the way I kind of thought about the book. And that structure was important to you, but you also say, though, as well, you don't have to read them in that order. You can just pick it up and, and read any of them. But is it a better reading experience if you read them in the order you've put them in? Well, what I would say is on the page after the um, after the um, the sort of 442 layout, there's a little drawing of a kind of a series of lines. And they, that series of lines, if you, if you buy the book, they kind of ghost the 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 uh, the stories the layout of the contents page, and that is described as a sort of one possible pattern that you could read the book in, um, and the idea would be that anyone else coming to the book would pick up the book and go, well, actually, I'm going to try a different pattern, and that they could start and work their own way out in, into the book. So it wouldn't mean necessarily that you go to page one and go your way through. You go to go to the end and then go to the middle and then go to the side. It all depends on the pattern of play that you want to have in the book. Um, so that's why if you go to the contents, there's no page numbers because I want I would like the, the reader to feel their way into the book and to kind of navigate their way through it by touching it uh, as well as by um, encountering the titles and things like that. You obviously think about things very visually. Um, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, for instance, like with the Spatican in Leipzig, the, the second novel, I remember like the, the, I placed that's, that happens in Bilbao, even though the title is Spatican in Leipzig, it actually happens in an in a, in a apartment in Bilbao. And it's an older um, retired engineer. I remember the only reason that I started that, that story in Bilbao was because there was this, I was in Bilbao once before, about maybe 10 years ago, and I visited a friend of a friend's house. And they had this beautiful parquet flooring. It was just a very normal apartment, but the beautiful parquet flooring. And I remember the sun striking the parquet flooring, whatever, a decade ago. And it was just this lovely honey brown coming off the, off the floor. And I wasn't able to get rid of that just image from my mind for the last decade. And then when I started writing a Spadach in Leipzig, that image started coming back to me strongly. And I was like, that's where he will live. He'll live where that glow of light is on that parquet flooring. So, yeah, I am, think, very, 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 very visually. And I, I write, I think, in a way that's visually, even though I can't see it the way you can or the way anyone else can. But to me, there's a certain visual aspect that I'm reaching for when I write. Yeah. And definitely in a lot of what I read, again, you know, you describe structures, buildings, houses, light, floors, walls, doors. Um, so, again, that's obviously going back to your, your, you know, your, your previous work as such. So I just think it's interesting. You haven't you haven't moved too far away from that in all of that. But the visual art as well is something that you still you're still very involved in and you use a range of of activities there. Everything, photography, film, sculpture, lot mm-hmm. yeah um like i it, it, the way i see it is and it's funny because I, I was thinking about this when i'm learning german i obviously have, it's awful it's awfully difficult because it's a second language you know whereas i always whenever I, there's a friend of mine he's got his his daughter she learns english and german at the same time she can just move between the two languages without any problem at all I'm, I'm really quite envious of that you know and i think when i started learning writing like or say uh, creative writing and then at the same time i was learning visual art for me, I'm not going, you know, there's no difference between the two. They're like two languages I've learned at the same time. So I, there's no real divide. It's just some things are more suited than others in, in writing and some more suited others in visual art. And something, some things I do in the visual art world, I then write about subsequently years down the line. So let's say, for instance, there's an exhibition that I'm showing with a friend of mine called Fergal Ward um, in visual down in Carlow, that large um, contemporary art gallery. It's a large film showing a, an Irish forester in Finland. And around the big screen in the gallery, there's loads of creosote electricity poles. So it smells of creosote and you're in amongst these trees, but, the, but then also these kind of electricity poles. And that stems from research that I did about 10 years ago. And that research also appears in the novel, A Spatter from Leipzig. 
So you can see, you know, there's a sort of jumping over and back between these things. And there's lots of collaborations then that happen. The thing about writing is the collaboration happens at the end with the publisher and the editor. Whereas in visual art, collaboration can happen at any time and, you know, at many, many times, particularly if it's sort of film or these kind of installation projects. You, there's different types of collaborations appear. So, yeah, I, I kind of go over and back between the two um, and both kind of enrich the other. Or I don't know if enrich is the right word, but certainly influence the other. It know. does, I think. And there seems to be an awful lot of crossover between the two. And I was probably unfairly going to ask you, do you prefer the writing or the visual art? But it sounds like you love the opportunity to be able to dip into one or the other when it suits you. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I definitely, I like going between the two. Yeah. And I, I always thought someone, people, when I was started out doing this, you know, I was, a few people were going to say to me, so when are you going to drop the write, the writing? Or some people would say, when are you going to drop the visual art? And I was just like, why? I was, I was always like, well, never. I'm not, like, I don't intend on ever doing that. It is a little bit more difficult. I mean, to be a visual artist, you know, say, let's, let's say if you're an artist who needs a studio, that costs money and materials cost money. To be a writer, it doesn't really cost money. It's just time that you need, you know. Um, but other, outside of that, um, that's the only sort of difficulty that, but then, like, you know, a notebook and drawing and taking photographs around the world. I mean, that's working as a visual artist as well. And um, so there's always ways and means of working, of, of, of working, even if you don't have maybe the money to, to, to kind of have a studio or whatever. So you just have to improvise, you know. Have you tried poetry? <laughs> I, you know, when I was doing the creative writing course, Greg asked us to do some poems, you know, at the end of whatever load of short story things. And I wrote, I think, I really got into it at the time. I'm not saying it was any good, um, but I really got into it at the time. It's an amazing art form, poetry. Um, I don't think I'm particularly good at it, but I do love reading. Um, like, for instance, I've been reading a good bit of Rona Grork's poetry over the last couple of years. And I, I think she's absolutely amazing. I think she's a brilliant poet. And I also love, I'm very interested in the way in which poets read their writing. Um, sometimes it's not entirely to my taste, I have to say, but I really like the way Vona reads her, her poetry. She has a very cool, um, she just lets the words do their job um, when she's reading. Uh, I think she's brilliant, yeah. And her, her, actually, she, she wrote a book, a prose book called Four Sides Full with Gallery Press. Um, I think it came out maybe two years ago. And it, was, it wasn't poetry, it was an extended essay. And it's absolutely magnificent. Yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. Anyway, that's enough about Vona. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you working on at the moment? Yeah, so um, I'm working on a novel at the moment that is going to come out next year with Lilliput Press. Um, and it's called The Geometer Lobachevsky. Um, you are a it, great man for the titles, I have to say. I, I love the titles <laughs> of all the books. <laughs> I know Anthony Farrell and Lily, but he's, uh, he's never had to suggest an alternative title to <laughs> me. He's kind of like, well, what do I say to that? You know, and um, yeah, the John Lobachevsky. So it comes from actually. So um, in A Spat in Leipzig, there's a, there's a photograph that's mentioned often. And it's, it's about four men leaning on their slains at about the 1950s in Ireland and behind them there's a load of unworked bog. So the start of Geometer Lobachevsky goes to this photograph and then travels over the shoulders of these men into the expanses of Bogland. And it's into these expanses that the story starts and it's during the early years of Bordnamona um, in the 1950s, early 1950s. And there's a Russian geometer over helping a Bordnamona surveyor to survey a particularly troublesome swathe of land um, because around this time, before in the, early, in the mid 1930s and again the 50s, there was a very strong relationship between not just Germany but also Russia, uh, the Russian peak companies and the Irish peak company, and they share technology and, and these kinds of things. 
Um, so it's from that kind of historical background that the new novel is, um, that's where it's kind of stemming from. Um, so there's other aspects like, um, you know, Stalin's um, death and these kind of things that, that, are, that, that appear in it. But that's basically where it takes place, early 1950s. Do you ever think you'll do any visual art or I know you've, you've sort of done some um, music uh, videos and stuff in the past. Would you do anything to accompany a novel at some point? Um, poo, 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 that is a good question. Um, I don't really know. Um, I, sometimes, like for instance, in, through a Spadak in Leipzig, there are loads of little drawings, uh, really tiny little drawings. And um, these are shapes that have been preoccupied, preoccupied me um, over the last 10 years as, a, as, a, as, an, as, an, say, as an artist that I would have drawn, not just doodles, I mean, shapes that I really, really look at very carefully. Um, so things like that happen um, sometimes in books. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, other than maybe writing a screenplay from one of the books or something like that, I can't think of how I would extract completely. I just like them sitting in amongst each other, if you know, and the thing, the whole thing just um, trundling along, one going into the other and out into the other and out. And that, to me, is, yeah, it's is, is fine. Do you know what? I've I've absolutely no question that you'll you'll figure it out in some some way, shape, or form. <laughs> Adrian Duncan, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books, and you'll find Midfield Dynamo online or at your local bookshop now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books I or E. If you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms, and don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Breda Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production.